I think it's fair to say that all of us have experienced a difficult day or a difficult week or a difficult month or a hard season of our lives. Uh, A number of months ago, I lost my job, and that was a rough day. And it turned into a a kind of a rough week as I grappled with this fact that, that I no longer had the security of this job. And I remember that week, I, I still needed to go to the grocery store, so that week on Wednesday, I, I, I made the trek. And if you know anything about me, you know that I love ice cream. So generally, when I go to the store, ice cream or popsicles are on my list. So I went over to this Safeway over here on 5th, and during COVID, they blocked off one of the, one of the doors, because apparently during a pandemic, it's just it's safer to funnel everyone through the same entrance. And I, I didn't realize it at the time, so I parked on the wrong side of the parking lot. So I had to walk all the way to the other side and use the other door. And I'm in there, and I, I get my items, and uh, I start walking out to my car with, with my cart and everything. And there was, a, there was an employee over by the cart return, and he said something to me. And I said, excuse me, and, you know, because I didn't want to be impolite and just keep going. And he says to me, just so you know, if you try to take that cart off the premises, those wheels are going to lock up. And I said, excuse me? But in the, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wrong guy, wrong week, pal. And he repeated himself, just so you know. I said, listen, my my car is right over there. I I not so nicely told him that my car was over there. And I feel like maybe he was a little embarrassed because he he tried to play it off as if if he was just giving me a a tidbit of information. Like I asked him, you know, hey, what's going to happen if I take this cart onto the sidewalk, you know? I remember getting into my car and sitting down and, and thinking, and just being angry and mad. Like, I lost my job two days ago, and this guy already thinks I'm a homeless person. And I think maybe there was even a little bit of embarrassment, because apparently I'm not even like an intimidating homeless person. And I, I started driving home, and I remembered that I had that ice cream in that bag. And I also remembered that I've seen on television that that women will often eat ice cream when they've had a bad day. And you know what I thought? I've had a pretty bad day. I'm going to try it. And let me tell you guys, it works. (laughs) I started eating that sweet goodness of that cookie dough ice cream and that, that bitter interaction that I had went away. It actually changed my perspective. I I looked at what I was wearing, and I realized that I was wearing uh, black sweats and a a black hat. I was probably wearing a mask, and I had a black jacket on. And I thought to myself, you know what? If there was a guy that was going to steal a cart, I'd expect him to be wearing this outfit, this very one. See, I think when we, when we struggle, when we go through hard times, it can be difficult to keep a positive attitude. 
it can be difficult to not get bogged down by what is bothering us in our life, what is discouraging us, and to keep a positive perspective. And so David is writing Psalm 34 at a time in his life where you'd expect him to have a negative perspective. See, in David's life at the time, you'd think he was going from a super high to a super low. This was a point in David's life where people were writing songs about him. There was a song about him in the land that went like this. It went, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And if that song was written today, it would go viral. Like all the kids would be doing TikTok dances to it. And in David's day, it also went viral. Everyone knew this song. And partially because of this song, Saul sought to kill David. Because Saul's in the song too, right? He's only killed his thousands though. He hasn't struck down the tens of thousands. So Saul was jealous. He understood that David, uh, or he felt that David was a threat to him and his throne. So David, or Saul sought to kill David. And David is on the run. And in David's panic, and in his mind, he thinks that, that the Philistines will save him. He thinks that the Philistines will protect him. So he runs there. But see, the Philistines also wanted to kill David because in that song where David has struck down his tens of thousands, it's in large part referring to the Philistines. He had spent years brutalizing them in battle. In fact, they probably sang this song before they went into battle. And David is walking through the streets there, and I think he begins to look around, and he begins to see that people are giving him a side eye. People are giving him a glance. He begins to see that people are whispering. Is that, is that David from the, from the song? That's... That's David from the song. And so they take him before the king because the king's going to definitely want to meet this guy. And David realizes that he had made a big mistake. And how is he going to get out of it? He decides, as we're told at the beginning of, of this psalm, he decides to feign insanity, to fake insanity. And it worked. It worked. They, they let him go. They drove him out. He escaped. And he runs from there, and he runs to a cave. It's the cave of Adullam. And it's from this cave that David writes this psalm. David's on the run from his, for his life, hiding in a cave. And as we read this psalm, it's far more upbeat than we would expect David to be in this moment. And that's because God turns our praise or our cries into praise. There's a great deal of repetition and parallelism in this psalm. And we see that firstly in verses 4, 6, and 17. Verse 4 I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his trouble. So we begin to see 
a pattern here, right? That, that David is seeking God, that David is crying out to God, and that God is hearing him, and God answers him and delivers him. But also in 17, we see a bit of a tense change here. Because David is no longer referring to himself, he says in verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He's not just referring to himself at this moment, he's referring to all of the righteous. There's nothing special about David other than the fact that he is one of the righteous. I mentioned earlier that I lost my job. I actually lost my job back in January, so it's been over seven months uh, without this job. And I I remember uh, during that time that it was was a struggle. I I was miserable there. And when COVID hit, uh, it had a, a pretty big impact. I was working at FedEx, so when COVID hit, everyone was ordering things online. And we were swamped. I was working six, seven days a week. Um, And not only that, but my boss was actually sending me down to Portland because they were even in worse shape than we were. So I was going back and forth from here to Portland delivering packages. And I felt God at this time nudging me and telling me that, that I wasn't going to be here, be there much longer. That it wasn't where he wanted me anymore. The only problem was that I hadn't lined up anything for after that, for moving on from that. And to be honest, God didn't wait for me to figure that out. And I still am not completely sure where God is leading me here, but I do know that God has been present in this time, that he has given me rest in this time, that God has has opened doors for me to be more active here at Restoration with Pastor Kevin on sabbatical. And that I know that God is leading me, that he has a plan for me. And I think it was David remembering these moments in his life. David remembering these moments when he didn't know where God was leading or, or what God was doing necessarily But he knew that God was present, that he knew that God loved him and had a plan for him. And so David says in verse 1 that he will be characterized by praise, that his life will be characterized by praise. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Verse 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. David was a man that wanted to be known as a man of praise. He wanted you to know that if you knew David, you knew God. He was going to tell you about what he had done in his life. And not only that, but he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. David was becoming great in the land of Israel. And the people were praising him for his greatness. The people were making songs about 
about him. His acclaim, his fame was growing in the land of Israel. His fame as a warrior, as a musician, and future as the future king of Israel. And yet it's as if David still saw himself as that that lowly shepherd boy. That when the people were praising him, he was going to redirect their praise to God. But he extends an invitation. David didn't want to do it by himself. He didn't want to make great of God on his own. He wanted to invite others along the way. Verse 3, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There's this interesting thing about the impact that COVID had on sporting events. I love watching sporting events. Um, And as you're watching this COVID era of sports, where stadiums went from a full capacity crowd to a limited capacity crowd, it really changed the dynamics that went on in the stadium. At some point, sometimes it was kind of cool because you could hear individual fans as they were screaming and yelling and, and heckling and and talking trash. Uh, other times, the announcers had to apologize uh, because some of their mics picked up some colorful language. But it's just not the same as having a full crowd. The roar of that full crowd, the roar and the energy that goes on in the stadium. You hear it from players. Now, when they're interviewed after the game, they felt the fans' impact. They felt the adrenaline that they got from the fans, from that energy. And so David is saying, hey, it's, it's cool. I'm going, to, I'm going to praise God, but how much more powerful is it if we all join, if many voices become one chorus in praise to God? But God not only turns our cries to praise. He turns our fears to confidence. I graduated uh, from Corbin College in 2009, and I took a year off, and my plan was in 2010 that I would uh, move to Dallas, Texas, and I would go to Dallas Theological Seminary. And I was excited. I was excited to, to get down there. I had a buddy from college that was already studying down there. And he kind of, he, he hooked me up with a guy because uh, the guy needed a roommate. And I was going to move down there and, and I was going to room with him. And, and uh, when I got down there, I just had this overwhelming sense that, that God didn't want me there right now. That that wasn't his plan for me in that moment. And uh, to make matters worse, this guy had it set in his house that the air conditioning in Dallas, Texas would not turn on until it was 95 degrees in the house. It was torture. I, I went to the store and I, I bought some things and I remember I, I brought them back and I think I'm, maybe I, I, I bought some bread and put it in the cupboard or something and 
he comes up to me and he says, hey, uh, you know, just to let you know, if you leave your bread out, it's going to mold within a couple of days. And I thought, bro, we got bigger problems than my bread molding. I'm about to spoil all your food because I'm going to pull everything out of this refrigerator and this freezer and I'm going to hop in there myself. And I just remember telling my buddy that it wasn't going to work out, that, it, that God had a different plan for me. I didn't know what. And I just remember this overwhelming sense of discouragement, though. Even though I knew it was the right thing to leave, I was still discouraged. And I remember going through a period in my life where I just kind of floated around. I was still going to church, but I wasn't, I would go to church just enough, and then kind of when, when people kind of wanted me to get involved, I'd, I'd pull back a little. But then God gave me this opportunity. God gave me this opportunity to come to restoration and to, to work with the teenagers. And that's been great. I, I love working with your teenagers. Uh, for some reason, they think I'm cool. I'm really not. I'm just a big dork. Maybe that's why they like me. But even more so, just the involvement in the community here at Restoration Church. We often, we often refer to our, our church family as our church family but, and our family as our family, but Restoration has become, to me, in a way, my family. Not, not just my church family, but, but my family. And, and there have been people here that have invested in me and people that have loved me and, and wanted to know what was going on in my life and wanted to pray for me. And even though I was discouraged, God has turned that to confidence in that he has a plan for me. So, and as we look back at David's life, as we look back at this psalm in verse 4 and verse 6, he says this, And he delivered me from my fears, and he delivered me from my troubles. See, those fears that David had were those perceived dangers. Those troubles that he had were the present dangers. And God delivered him from them all. When, when David was feeling discouraged, God delivered him. But he specifies how we're delivered in verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. This is a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Protecting, preserving, delivering His people. He's saying that, that God's Son will personally deliver us from our troubles. And He follows that up with a second invitation in verse 8. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And oftentimes we quote this verse, but we forget to quote the second part. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you know the Heeds, and by now probably most of you have met them, I think in my life, in my interaction with them, I feel like they could be characterized by generosity and hospitality. I've heard on multiple occasions, Jake talking to Debbie on the phone 
and saying, by the way, I invited Zaki Poo over for dinner. And if you know me, I don't generally turn down free food. And if you know Debbie, you know she's a fantastic cook. So I doubly make it a point when I'm invited to try and open up my schedule to get there. But at some point, it's assumed that I'll leave that night. At some point, they figure I'll I'll go. But how much more so in Christ, when we've tasted and seen that He is good, when we have taken refuge in Him, how much more so do we just want to stay, to enjoy, to never leave? And Christ will never ask us to leave. Peter echoes this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. David's invitation of verse 8 is that we would experience the goodness of Christ delivering his people. But Peter's assumption is that once we've tasted that goodness, once we've experienced that salvation, that we will long for it, we will crave it. And he says also that we will grow up into it. We will continually need it. And because he's done it before, because he's delivered us before, because he's saved us before, we can have confidence that he'll do it again. follows this with a third invitation. And it's an invitation to fear the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. David is giving us a call to obedience with the promise that when we do, we will lack no good thing. Oftentimes in Scripture, the fear of the Lord is associated with wisdom. Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom and knowledge is found in God's Word. David is giving them an invitation to study and to apply, an invitation to learn and obey God's Word in their lives. And not only is it an invitation, but he's saying, if you don't know it, I will teach you. He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And as a result, we will face no lack. We will have no lack in our lives. God will provide. This is not a promise of prosperity, but a principle of provision for God's people. God will provide. It's not, it's not prosperous in the sense that we will be healthy and wealthy and, and everything we do will, will, will be prosperous. But it's prosperous in the, in the sense that our mouths will burst forth with praise. Our hearts will overflow with love for God and for people. 
and that our minds will teem with wisdom and understanding. It's a recognition that, that those who fear God, for those of us who do, it's our relationship with Christ that satisfies us completely. Fullness of a life in Christ is about character, it's about faith, it's about a, a desire to honor God, honor the Lord in all areas of our lives. That we will seek peace and that we will speak the truth. And Peter quotes verses 12 through 16 again in 1 Peter chapter 3. You get the, you get the sense that, that Peter liked this psalm. But he quotes it in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 10 through 13. But in verses 8 and 9, he actually gives his commentary on the verses. First, he, he gives us how we should act towards one another. And then second, how we should act towards the world. He says in verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So how are we to act towards each other when we're going through difficult times, when, when we're going through hard times? We're supposed to sympathize. Have a tender heart. Suffer with them. Have a humble mind. Don't, don't come to them as if you have all of the answers. But with a willingness to listen to love. And how are we to act toward the world? He just gives one word. Bless. Regardless of what the world says or thinks or does to us, we will not return evil with evil, but we will turn from evil and do good. When we magnify God's greatness, when we've tasted and experienced the goodness of God in our lives, and when we obey what He tells us to do in His Word, the outpouring, the natural outpouring, is a blessing to this world. But not only does God turn our cries to praise and our fears to confidence, God turns our condemnation to redemption. Verses 16 through 22 continues this parallelism and this repetition that we've seen in the, in the psalm as, as David compares and contrasts the wicked and the righteous and how God deals with each. In verse 16, he says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. The face of, the God, uh, the face of God is against the wicked. Their evil is returned with their own destruction and the judgment of God. 
They are under judgment. Verse 21 says, Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be, con- will be condemned. They will be, the wicked will be afflicted, but instead of the deliverance that God gives the righteous, affliction is all they get. Condemnation is what they receive. But he compares that with the righteous. In verse 15, he says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. Verse 18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. While God's face is against the wicked, his eyes and his ears are intently focused on the righteous with the deepest affection of his son. Verse 20 says, He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This first is, is an exaggerated sense of the protection that we have in Christ. But John also quotes this as that deepest affection of Christ for us is illuminated as Christ delivered us by delivering himself to the cross. And in doing so, he turned our condemnation to redemption. Verse 22 is a parallel to to verse 8. It's really a, a continuation of the invitation to taste and to see. He says, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the fulfillment, the promise that we have of salvation in Christ. The blessing that we read about in verse 8 is that we no longer face condemnation in verse 22. And this is the promise that we have, that when we seek Christ's deliverance, we will be saved. In Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, he, uh, speaking of the heart of Christ, he, he says this. He says, Let us draw you in through the loveliness of his heart. This is a heart that upbraids the impenitent with the harshness that is appropriate, yet embraces the penitent with more openness than we are able to feel. It is a heart that walks us into the bright meadow of the felt love of God. It is a heart that drew the despised and the forsaken to his feet in self-abandoning hope. It is a heart of perfect balance and proportion, never overreacting, never excusing, never lashing out. It is a heart that throbs with desire for the destitute. It is a heart that floods the suffering with the deep solace of shared solidarity with the suffering. It is a heart that is gentle and lowly. See, David's ultimate invitation to us is an invitation to the heart of Christ. And when we accept that invitation to the heart of Christ, it is where we find 
deliverance from our fears. It is where we find redemption from our sins. And we will find refuge in Him. He can deliver us from whatever is troubling us, whether that be uh, an addiction to drugs or to alcohol or to gambling or, or to pornography or whatever it may be. He can deliver us. He can deliver us from bad relationships. He can deliver us and mend the broken relationships in our lives. It can be hard, though. It can be hard because we feel as if we keep crying out to God. We keep bringing our petition before God. And and sometimes it feels as if He isn't listening. He hasn't heard. He doesn't see me. The important thing for us as we read this psalm is to keep crying out. Don't lose hope. Keep going. That when we read this psalm, when we read the lives of these biblical characters, and we see the deliverance that God gave them, that it would give us hope that he will deliver us. That we remember the deliverances that God has already given us in our own lives. And that because he was faithful to do them then, he will be faithful to do them again. I think of, of Restoration Church, if, I, I think of our life group starting up this September. It's a great way to get connected with the people of restoration. It's a great way to not bear our burdens alone, that we can bring our cries to God with other members of the family, that our cries would become their cries, and that when God delivers us, when God answers our prayers, that their praise becomes our praise that we can magnify God together. I just want to encourage you with this this last story. My grandfather was, um, he's not a Christian. In fact, he was an alcoholic. And I remember Christmas of my senior year in high school. He got super drunk. It was not it was not an enjoyable experience. And the week after he checked into rehab and it began this process that altered his life that to be honest it altered my life. And I can honestly say that there is nothing in my life that I have have prayed for more in my life than that my grandfather would come to know Christ as his Savior, that, that my grandfather's life would be changed by the gospel of Christ.
As I was in college, my parents, they, they moved to California. But I would still come back to Yakima and I would intern at the church I grew up in here in town. And since my parents weren't here, I needed a place to stay. My, my grandparents always let me stay with them. So every summer I would come back, I would intern, and I would stay with my grandparents. And it gave me this avenue, this opportunity to speak into my grandfather's life. To share with uh, him what the scriptures taught. Because as my grandfather was going through this process of giving up alcohol and his, and his, uh, his 12-step books or, or whatever, he, he said to me one time, he said, these books, they, they quote scripture all the time. So why am I reading this when I can just, I can just read the Bible? And he began to read it and he began to, to question things. And I can honestly say that when my grandfather accepted Christ, it was the, the single most uh, tangible experience I've had of, of, of God answering my prayers. And it was a years-long process. And so when I look back to this time in my life, when I, when I, when I think of all of the times where I felt like this, this is too hard, God, I can't, I'm just going to give up, God. I'm going to go do other things. I, I feel like you're not answering me. I, I always remember that God answered my prayers. I go back to this moment in my life and realize that if God was not real, if God did not have a plan for me, that, that God would not have answered this in my life. And it is, has kept me going. And for that, I will constantly give God praise. And I know because God has done it for me that he can do it for all of us. That, that whatever we bring to God, that he hears it, he knows it, he sees it, and he can answer it. Let's pray.